What do all of us get wrong when we're trying to talk about race? We discuss this and more with special guest, Dr. George Yancey, on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I am your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, Napoleon of Nuance, and with me as always is my thanklessly thoughtful co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and someone uh, who is, uh, I, <laughs> I, I've run out, I think, 152 episodes. I've now finally run out of third or fourth things to say, but someone who was excited about today's podcast. <laughs> And that's a cop out. Um, but we're going to be talking about something really interesting. Good one. And Good we one. have a, a great guest. Yes. Which is a perfect segue into. Yes. Today we have a very special guest. He is an author, speaker, and professor at Baylor University with a joint appointment in sociology and Institute of Religious Studies. He has a bachelor's in economics from West Texas State University and a doctorate in sociology from the University of Texas, Austin. He's the author of multiple books, including Beyond Racial Gridlock and his latest book, Beyond Racial Division and the co-author of more books, including One Faith No Longer, United by Faith, Transcending Racial Barriers, and So Many Christians, So Few Lions. He is the generous, the genuine, the genial, Dr. George Yancey. Dr. Yancey, welcome to the show. How are you all doing? I don't have any alliteration for you. Sorry. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. Next time. Cost we provide right. for our guests. Just thank you for being here. <laughs> yes. Well, so today we are going to be discussing what most of us get wrong in discussions about race and how we can do it better. But first, Nathan, if people enjoy our discussion and want to engage with more of our content and meet fellow overthinkers like themselves, where they should they go? They can go to theoverthinkersjournal.com where they can find out more about their hosts and they can send us all of their love and hate mail there. Uh, they can also join our online private group, The, uh, the Overthinkers, on Facebook, where we have over 14,000 of you. Uh, hanging out and getting into great intellectual discussions and posting really fun, fun intellectual memes. So please head over to the private group on Facebook, The Overthinkers. And if you do enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review and sharing with a friend. It really does help us so very much. Awesome. All right. So everybody ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. Fantastic. So race is one of the most divisive issues we have today in America. According to Newsweek, nearly 30% of Americans believe that race relations have gotten worse since the 1960s, while 26% believe they haven't changed at all. The Black Lives Matter movement, which came on the scene in 2014 after the death of Michael Brown at the hands of the police, but truly rose to prominence with the protests of 2020 with the similar death of George Floyd, has sparked a new tidal wave of racial discussions in the culture. Authors like Ibram Kendi, with his book How to Be an Anti-Racist, and Robin D'Angelo with her book White Fragility, argued that the racial inequality and injustices that we are experiencing now are because America is structurally and systemically racist, and the only solution is a complete dismantling of the system with ethnic minorities leading the discussion while white people shutting up and following their lead. Other authors and influencers like Pastor Vody Bachman with his book Fault Lines or Heaven McDonald with her book When Race Trumps Merit argue that instances of racism are individual and inequality is driven by individual ethnic subcultures' failures rather than the system. For them, the solution is more colorblind treatment of individuals and social reformation around traditional values like marriage and family. The divide between these views is largely partisan and shows few signs of that divide being bridged anytime soon. So, Dr. Yancey, in your book, Beyond Racial Division, you use the terms anti-racism and colorblindness to describe the two paradigms that Americans use to talk about racial issues today. And you conclude that both of these paradigms are ultimately unhelpful for making real racial progress. 
Can you define for us what you mean by colorblindness and anti-racism and why you argue they're both ultimately unhelpful paradigms? So colorblindness, I mean, I, I think that's pretty straightforward, right? Colorblindness is where you ignore race. When you hear someone say, hey, why are you bringing up race? You know, let's just ignore race. Let's treat everyone equal. Everyone the same. You know, but let's ignore race. That That's colorblindness. So that's the easy one. Yeah. Anti-racism is a little bit harder. Uh, and in fact, for me to understand it, what I did was I read all the, well, at least most of the uh, popular books on anti-racism at the time was coming out. And that included Edward Kinney's book and D'Angelo and, and, and about six other books. And basically what I, uh, what I would argue anti-racism in the popular sphere is, and it's not that diff much different from the academic anti-racism, huh. is that there's at least three very important components to it. Racism is pervasive. You know, it's everywhere. It's not just a few places everywhere. Racism is multifaceted. It's not just about, you know, individual racism. It's, it's institutional, it's structural, it's historical. And the third one, though, I think is the one that uh, runs into problem. That is, there's the role of whites to do what people of color want them to do. And I think because of that third one, it runs into serious problems as far as uh, trying to find sustainable solutions. Huh. So those are the two paradigms. Uh, I will correct you a little bit. Uh, I don't think Bookman would call himself colorblind. Uh, now, no. he is very anti-critical race theory, but I don't think he would call himself colorblind. I don't know what his solution would be. I've okay. not read him deep enough, but I have read him a little bit to know that I don't think he would call himself colorblind. Well, well, That's good to know. And correct it. Yes. This is a, a really difficult topic, especially, um, well, I'm going to say especially, for most of America right now, this is something that pops up in the news regularly. This is something that is across our Facebook feeds and in the comment sections. And it seems to me, as as someone who's just observing everything going on on Twitter, uh, the media, whatever, or even just interpersonally between friends, that no one really knows how to talk about this or even how to think about this correctly or well. And it doesn't seem like all these conversations we're having are getting us further. It doesn't seem like it's moving much in a direction that seems to bring unity or health. And so as someone who is watching all this and admittedly um, uh, very confused because I'm trying to understand, I want to understand um, how, especially as, as a Christian, how I ought to be approaching this, how I ought to be thinking about this. As I read things, it's difficult for me, especially as a white guy going, well, I want to do the right thing. I want to think the right thing. But I find myself often confused because I find genuinely compelling arguments on all different sides of this. Um, but ultimately, I, I want to come down on the side that will produce practical, positive results. Um, but I, I don't believe I'm someone who can uh, understand and know it completely just coming from uh, my life experience. And so I guess speak a little bit, um, Dr. Yancey, to the people out there who have a good heart, who have an open mind and want to be on the quote side of um, of health and wholeness and unity, but with all these confusing articles and and and, and the media um, narratives and the different sides of this issue, they find themselves confused. Speak a little bit to those people on these issues about maybe what's going wrong and how we can actually start stepping forward into a more holistic and healthy understanding of these very important racial issues that have been really the, uh, the center of the conversation for, I mean, since America's inception. Yeah. Yes. All right. So think about it this way. All right. Let's, let's say we have these two competing visions, colorblindness and anti-racism. 
And, you know, you could, you could quibble over whether I captured them completely, but I, I don't think anyone can argue there's these two arguments out there. You go on, watch CNN or Fox or MSNBC, you know, you, you find them fighting each other. All right, so what I argue is that there's this sort of cycle that happens, and I think we're about to get a, go into that cycle again with the whole uh, penny thing. Uh, no, no, that was the Marine. Right, yeah. Uh, the cycle is you have a racial incident, and then you have a protest, and then you have a counter-protest, and you have normalcy or equilibrium, which means, right. you know, we're on to other things. I think we've been in equilibrium, uh, and now we're getting, getting into the controversy and, and the whole protest thing, because... Uh, what I think is going to happen is no matter whether he's found guilty or not, there's going to be protests, right. uh, you know, from, from either side. Yeah. All right. So you have this. So you have these two sides driving. All right. So what is the, what is the key? What, what do these both sides have in common, even though they have very different answers, that's, that's keeping this going? And here's my conclusion. What they have in common is that they're very confident they have the right answer. Uh, they anyway. know, you know, they know, hey. You ignore race, racism goes away. Just ignore race, racism will go away. Or you do anti-racism, we get justice. Just do what we say, and we get justice. And here, for me as a Christian, becomes a problem. Because who knows with absolute certainty what is right? And the clue is, it's not any of us. It's not me, even though I've studied this for a long time. And, you know, I'm an African-American, study this, done research on this, written books, written articles on this. I don't know all the answers. Uh, the problem is we think we have all the answers. It comes back to our Christian concept of human depravity. With uh, our depravity, we're confident we know the answers. And ironically, the answers always seem to meet what we want. Yes. Give us what we demand. Yes. Sort of funny the way it works out that way. Yes. And now, this is true across the racial spectrum. All right, this is true yeah. across the racial spectrum. I'm not saying that the answers are going to be the same thing for each racial group, but this tendency to find answers that we like and then to claim, okay, these are the answers, that, um, that, that's the human condition. Yeah. And once we understand the human condition, we understand what's gone wrong. So here's what will happen. One side will win for, for uh, you know, in some sort of situation. The other side will start fighting them back. A lot of us in the middle, or if not in the middle, at least not with one of these two sides completely, we just step out because we're tired of this. We're exhausted. Mm. About it. Yeah. What we need is to have a better conversation. Unfortunately, the individual on these sides won't lead that conversation because they're convinced they are right. And wow. they're going to impose what they see as right upon us. We need to have a better conversation to find better solutions. To move forward because if we can't move forward in a way where we get buy-in from a, a good chunk of the country you know not everyone's gonna buy in on everything you know we're, we can't sure, agree 100 yeah. but a good chunk of the country across the spectrum do you always have people sabotaging whatever you're trying to do but, um, and that human depravity is going to kick itself on in so ultimately i think this is a spiritual problem uh, uh and it's not what you and everyone says, yeah, of course, spiritual problem. I'm talking about racism, it's prejudice. It's yeah, it's a spiritual problem in that way. But it's also a spiritual problem in that it leads us to try to dominate our fellow humans and impose our solution. Right. Now, having said that, do I think that at times one side has, is more uh, right than the others? Yeah, but once again, remember, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I'm not God. All right. right. Uh, yeah, of course. So, you know, would I favor some, you know, one of the sides or another? Yeah, I would. 
But that doesn't absolve me of the responsibility of listening to people I disagree with and working with them to see if we can find a solution that they can get on board as well. Why don't you talk to each other? Why don't you talk to each other? Just give it a try. Wow. And that's what's missing in our conversations today. And, and I mean, I'm not saying no one's doing this, but too few people are, are trying to engage in this sort of... Not enough, yeah. It sounds like you're advocating, which is something that is definitely in line with the philosophy of this podcast and us, for a little bit of, one, um, humility, right? I like this mm -hmm. idea you say that humans are humans. We have limited knowledge. We are not all-knowing. We, we Even the, the wisest person on earth will never be God and never see things truly objectively. And so there's a little mm -hmm. humility when approaching this um, this subject and knowing that we can come up, we need to come up with the best answers we can, but no matter what, we're always going to be lacking yeah. in our fullness of understanding because yeah. we're not divine. And then it sounds right. like a little bit of what you're saying as well is there's an aspect of psycho psychological malleability. So don't get <laughs> entrenched in a side or a tribe in, and that says this is the only way, but there's something to being I don't want to say open-minded, you know, as D.K. Chesterton said, we don't yeah. open-mind, our minds fall out, but being willing to accept new information or new ways of thinking about things or new perspectives that might actually help move issue that seems so stuck so often. Like you said, it, it seems difficult yeah. it, it, that we keep on going over and over the same things in the same ways, but to move forward, it might take all of us, not your side or my side or that side or this, but yeah. having a little bit of psychological malleability and to be able to intake new information because of that first point you made, which is we are limited humans. Uh, there needs to be some humility. But Joseph, I know you have some great questions, Dr. Yancey. Yes, of course. No, it's, it's, um, what, you know, what, it's, it's really interesting. I, I like how you're talking about that there, because I think you're right. You talk about this in your book, this, this cycle that we seem to always go into where there is, you know, a really awful racial incident. And then the two sides both look at that incident as reaffirming their narrative mm -hmm. and saying, this is why, you know, we need to input all of our policies in place. Yeah. And I certainly, you know, I, I saw this, you know, during 2020, um, where I could not believe how, how completely oppositely people I respected, not just like people I liked, but people I respected intellectually, you know, were completely opposed on the issue and not only saw it, but saw the other side as as evil you know yeah. and, and and because it was that way you're right because there was no place for people to come into like agreement or a conversation um it becomes a naked power thing where it's like okay whoever of us can you know, grab the levers of power to impose our will upon everybody else um that's what we're going to do whether whatever our policy or cultural prescription is but you're right. What you find is that there's, because there's not enough buy-in from enough of the people, there's a backlash that's strong enough to push back and create sort of, like you say, equilibrium again. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, like, you know, whatever, the, the defund the police movement immediately refunds the police, you know, not yeah. very not. long afterwards. It's, it's just, it was amazing to watch just like in a year, everything snapped back sort to normal, not per exactly the same, but like pretty right. similar afterwards. And so you're, what it sounds like what you're saying from what I've read in your book, where you say is that we need to bring people to the table, actually say, okay, you know, let's have a conversation and let's have a conversation where we can see if we can get 
both get 80% of what we want? Is there a way for me to get what I want in a way that you don't lose the thing you're afraid of losing? Yeah. Which you can't do if you, A, are so certain that you're right and the other person is wrong that you don't see there's another way, you know, to do it. Um, but also if if you're not willing to actually have that conversation. And that's, this is sort of where my, my next question is going to go into because we had a podcast um, with a friend of ours, a friend of the podcast, uh, Zavori Zapata, um, because she actually said like, hey, you know, because like she wanted, we did an episode like, why is it so hard to talk about race? And, you know, and because she, she would talk about, I brought her up because she talked about the fact that she's like, you know, as a woman, I can have conversations on gender and sex, sex and sexism with my male friends. And people are not, um, my male friends are not uncomfortable with that. It's like, yeah. but I can't have a conversation on race with people without people freezing up and essentially mm-hmm. not, not being able to do that. And I, yeah. I certainly like, I feel that it's like, I'm, I, the opportunity cost for having a conversation on race is uh-huh. very high um, mm-hmm. for me, partly because it's like I, you know, I don't feel like I can have a voice in the conversation without hurting the other person potentially, yeah. you know, and re re traumatizing them as sort of the language goes. And so that's just speaking from my side. It's like, you know, how do I, you know, have a voice in this conversation without and actually speak the needs that I actually have and without being the bad guy. And so I guess how what do you see, you know, but it as sort of the barriers to having, you know, you talk about humility as one, but the other barriers to having win-win racial conversations. And um, I guess, what would you say about, you know, having those conversations that don't really traumatize people and people who say, well, I shouldn't have to maybe put up with this or do this. Well, I think you're illustrating one of the barriers right now. And that is, if I may, your fear that you're going to be called a racist. Yes. If sure. you don't have the yeah. right opinion. All right. So, yeah, absolutely. you know, I've listened to enough, enough whites to know. And you know what? I don't blame you for having that fear because I've seen, I've seen how that, I've seen, I've seen that work. You know, and I know how that takes away the conversation. On the other hand, you know, I know that uh, whites like to call people of color woke. And I really sure. yeah. and, and, you know, and that's used in a derogatory sense uh, right. yes. originally, but it's used right now. And so there's some of that. Uh, I'm not saying that they're equal in, in, in weight, but still, yeah. the fact is, it, it, it stops the conversation. Yeah. And so, what happens is people just nod their head and go along, but then the backlash will come. You know, at some point, they don't nod their head. Maybe they don't do it to your face. Maybe they vote a certain way. Maybe they support certain policies. But since since they've not been convinced morally, you know, that they've been shut up because they don't want to call the racist, you know, the backlash will come. Uh. So, so, you know, how do we get through that? Well, we're going to have to change our perspective. You know, uh, one of the things I pray to God, uh, I pray, you know, that God would deal with me in my arrogance. But what I mean by that is that I don't hold on to ideas so tightly that I must denigrate people who disagree with me. But, uh, I'm open to the fact that I might be wrong. Let me put it this way. I hope I'm not, I'm not about to offend you, offend any of either you, but you all look like you're probably in your, about your 30s. Am I about correct? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Got it in one, kid. Okay. So I'm assuming that when you were like, say, 16 or 17, you have some ideas you look back and go, gee, I was stupid. <laughs> I, I have some ideas that I thought like, you know, two weeks ago that yeah. I thought they had that was stupid. Okay. Absolutely. Fair enough. So think about it this way. You have ideas right now that probably when you get and say, let's say you're 50s, you're going to go back and say, gee, that was stupid. 
none of us, uh, even in our own lives, realize that we are right 100% of the time. In fact, if we really want to be honest, chances are we're wrong as much as the average person is. But, you know, I mean, maybe some of us are, are above average, some of us are below average, but chances are we're about average right, average wrong, which means we can learn. There's something you believe in today, you're going to come realize later is wrong. Yeah. You don't, but here's the thing you don't know what it is. Yeah. You yeah. don't know which thing. Yeah. So you don't know what thing, it, you don't know what thing is wrong. So it's, I mean, I, do I have some core things that I'm really, really, I mean, you know, I really looked into the existence of God. And so I, I really don't think someone's going to come up with, with, an, with, an, with an argument that's going to shake me of that and things of this nature. But beyond those really core things, I try, and I don't always succeed, I try to hold my other ideas kind of loosely yeah. and be open to perspectives. And and that's where actually we have to take into things because we could learn from, from others. We should be curious about how people think differently than us. Yeah. Not condemning them, but curious. You, know, you come to that conclusion. How did you come to that conclusion? What drove you? If I assume that you're a reasonably rational person, oh. what made you think about it that way? I don't like with you, but I just want to no. know. This one curiosity will help us to understand other perspectives. And then we can find ways to find solutions. Yeah. The danger of finding a solution without understanding that person's perspective is sometimes you you may, not always, but sometimes you may overlook answers that can meet everyone's needs. Yeah. I, I heard an illustration. I wish I had heard about it when I wrote the book because I would definitely include it. It is about two people living in a room and they're arguing over the window. One wants a window up, one wants a window down. And they, they're arguing. And there's no compromise, right? Because if the window's halfway up, then it's up. And uh, yeah. And then they ask, why do you want and, and the one who wants a little up says, well, you know, it's hot in here. Uh, I want some clear in. And the person who wants a down says, well, I want bugs flying in. You know, now they could find solutions that could meet. Well, what if they got the wow. and kept the window down? Or what if they want to let the window up and put a screen on the window so bugs can't get in? See, now they can find solutions. It doesn't always work that way, but you'll never get there until you actually understand where the person's coming from. It's just a power struggle on why I'm gonna get my way, I'm gonna get that window up, then you'll never get there. Um, but we have a chance to find solutions that can work, but we have to listen to others first and understand where they're coming from. And that lack of doing that is part of what's, what creates the racial and sustains the racial alienation we have in our society. Wow. Well, that's uh, really good. I think um that's such you know, it on its face, what you say makes so much sense immediately. And I'm I'm really surprised I don't hear this more often or more places. That's really interesting because um, it seems like something so obvious. I love that illustration of the window. And we want to be respectful of your times. I'm just going to ask you one last question, one last question. Um, before before we before we lose you. Um, I think this issue of racism and race relations and has been so central in our country for so long. It's even in the church. Is in almost everything we do, and it it seems um, so charged because people are getting hurt as a result, and friendships are being broken, and the country is divided in so many ways. I, I love the 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 ideas and the the words you spoke um, of, of wisdom and guidance for people as they're approaching these issues. Is there hope? Because it feels like this issue is so 
long standing. I mean, really, yeah. if you look at it, it's been 200 years plus of this. Yeah. I mean, even longer, really, but just in our country. Um, and it feels like you said earlier, this is cyclical. It keeps on going round and round and round. And, and of course, it feels like things go forward and then backward, forward, backward. Is there hope for this country, um, more or less, moving forward mm -hmm. into a more unified place? Do you see that there is hope or are we kind of destined to have this cyclical um, experience over and over again? Um, that, that brings so much strife to people on a societal level and an individual level. You know, I think it, I think we can change it, but I think it's going to take a long time. I think it's, we're talking about generations. Right. You know, I'm, I'm older than you all, uh, so I don't think I'm going to see it in my lifetime. Right. Uh, I would love to see it in my son's lifetime. I, you know, I have very young kids. I start late in life. Uh, I, I'll admit, but we'll ever get there if we keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's like the definition of insanity, yeah. doing the same thing again, expecting a different result. So, you know, uh, so I think, I think, you know, but it's going to take a long time. We're going to be committed to it. You know, you got the extremes, and they're not going to change right away. But those of us in the middle, if we start putting pressure on them, hey, you need to have a dialogue. You can't just well, dictate to us. If we start putting pressure on them, then that pressure, you know, will start getting more and more compliant. That's going to take a while, you know. And so what I, you know, what I feel God has taught me to do or, or given me is the task of trying to work towards it, even though I don't think I will be around. Right. Whatever we can get to a place where we yeah. can truly uh, uh, have the conversations, change the mentality, move forward. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's where it is. And yeah, it's been 200 years. So, so maybe to expect, it to be, expect us to change next year is just not realistic. So there, uh, there is hope, but it's a long-term hope and something we have to keep We've got to think about this long-term, yeah. which means we're going to have some setbacks. And, and so, you know, we're going to have to per persevere through that as well. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to have to pers persevere, uh, keep keep at this, and uh, and you know it, maybe you're not working for your life, maybe you're working for your kids' lives or, right. or your grandkids' lives. But I think it'll be worth it if we get there. And here's what I would say as a Christian: if we in the church get this right, in a post-Christian world, we're going to have something to offer the world that they can't find easily elsewhere. Well, and that's going to be very meaningful because in a post-Christian world, people don't have to go to your churches anymore because they feel an obligation to. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, th th there was news uh, on how the Southern Baptist their 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 uh, numbers have gone down. But what's interesting is that their baptism actually went up. Oh, what's yeah. happening is people who used to be on the rolls just are not on the rolls anymore because they don't have to be on the rolls anymore. Right. So we want to yeah. bring people back to our congregations. We can't do what we did 50 years ago. You know, revival and, and people are going to come or what have you. Uh, we got to offer them something they're not getting easily elsewhere. And this could be it. We took seriously the uh, cost of human depravity and tried to work through it and try to overcome it. This could be it. This is absolutely um, really, really wonderful. I, I We're so appreciative yeah. of the things you have to say. And I hope that all of our listeners out there, you know, this conversation, we, we only have 30 minutes on this show usually, but I, I hope that this sparks something in you to go and learn more, to open your mind and to um, begin understanding. I love what you said about asking the question, being curious about why people believe things. We love that here. So I hope that something that Dr. Yancey said really sparked something in you, um, maybe inspired a new way of thinking and a new thought that will hopefully bring unity to this issue. But Dr. Yancey, thank you so much for being here today. It really means a lot. And your words, um, I think, are really packed with things that our listeners can take home. Um, and we, we want to be respectful of your time, so we're going to rush you through the end. 
Thank you so much, Dr. George Yancey. We know you have to go, so we'll let you go now. So great to having you on. And if anybody wants to check out more of Dr. George Yancey's work, you can go to his website at georgeyancey.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at, hold on, let me go, George, uh, yes, Prof Yancey. Go to Twitter, Prof Yancey. He's got amazing stuff on there. Also, he let us know um, what his blesses and, uh, well, just his blesses would be, the other books he'd recommend on this topic. So I want to give those a shout out. He wants, says, other books on race that would be good to watch for people who really like the conversation we have here. Uh, Healing Conversations on Race, Four Key Practices from Scripture and Psychology. And we have uh, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, What the Bible Says, What the First Christians Knew About Racial Reconciliation. And let's see, we've got one more here. Uh, Talking About Race, Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations by Isaac Adams. Oh, yes. And the Healing Conversations on Race are by Viola Vasquez. And the uh, How to Heal Our Racial Divide is by Derwin L. Gray. So definitely, those are uh, George Yancey's recommendations. And definitely, of course, check out his book, Beyond Racial Division, as well. And go uh, visit his website and all this stuff. So great. Awesome. Cool. Um, so, uh, Nathan, are you still figuring out what your blessings and curses are? No, or, I, have or, not, I, I don't did. have a curse this time. Um, <laughs> just, I'm going to play it safe. I'm not going to curse anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I do have a bless, and um, it's a bless that most of our listeners, if you're a regular listener, are already aware of. Uh, it's actually a movie that was created by a guest we had on not long ago yes. about this particular topic, about racial unity and the difficulties and the struggles, especially here in America. Um, but it's a, it's a movie that definitely is founded on uh, faith yeah. and how that plays a role in these conversations and in this process. Um, the movie... Uh, has gone by a couple different titles, uh, uh, Shooting Doves, um, and also Between Mercy and Me, uh, I think is the the working title. This is going to be um, in theaters and then streaming. Uh, so definitely keep an eye out for this. I had an opportunity because uh, my friend was one who made it, Craig Lamar Brown, who was actually on our show not long ago. Please go listen to that episode. It was fantastic. But this movie is is beautiful. It's incredibly acted. It's a musical. The music is touching. Um, and it touches on these subjects from a place of heart and like Dr. Yancey was saying, humility and openness, um, but also resolve. And so I really yeah. think it's a wonderful, um, a wonderful movie and resource as you start exploring these waters more, maybe in a particularly new way, especially through the lens of faith. I really can't recommend Between Mercy and Me or Shooting Doves uh, highly enough. So please go check. It, it really is. It, it, if somebody was taking... Um, Professor Yancey's uh, um, uh, books and thoughts, and decide to put it into the form of a Christian film. This is what it would yes. be. That's that's rough. yeah, cool. All right, so yes, um, blessings and curses. So I'm going to um, I'm going to uh, because because uh, our guest didn't feel like he could uh, bless his own book. I will bless his book. <laughs> it's it's really good. I've been reading it. It's it's fantastic. It really does. You know what you got a t- small taste of in this podcast. He goes into full detail, a lot of examples, really laying out what he sees as as the you know the the um, the problems with these or two paradigms not listening to each other and and practical steps 
you know, theological justification, then also pra- and empirical data um, to help you if you, you love are data. if you are yes, we we love our data here. Um, if and if you find yourself falling on one of those sides, where you're a, you're a colorblind person or you're an anti-racist person, he gives data explaining why he doesn't think that those are the right ways to go, and data why uh, what he calls mutual accountability um, is the way forward. And so, I definitely recommend that book. Um, also, um, when it comes to uh, blessing. Um, uh, uh, of course, you know, uh, blessing, a, a movie. Um, I am going to, um, just cause it's come out recently. I don't have another place to, to put this as a, but is the, is the Creed franchise with, um, with, um, yeah, particularly Creed three came out recently. And what I really liked about that movie is it's one of the, it, it, they really did transition from Rocky being the star of this franchise to, you know, a young black man being the star of franchise uh. without a single person being angry about it, Never you know, um, again, and you have all these conversations nowadays about like, oh, you know, they're replacing, you know, the character oh, with a, yeah. a person of color thing that they were having that. And this is the one circumstance where nobody complained about it. And it just, it's a testament to how well they did that in a way that was respectful to the old, that, you know, for people didn't feel like, you know, Rocky was being disrespected, but it was like, you were still moving on to something else. Um, I was really admiring of that, and the whole franchise they done a really good job of of that. So I never blessed that for that reason. Um, when it comes to curses, um, I always get at my most risky uh, at these <laughs> with these episodes. Um, but I think I'm going to first of all, I'm going to curse the movie Twenty One. Um, okay. <laughs> first of all, because it, it's supposedly a you know it's a it's a it's a kind of a, a, a Ocean's Eleven kind of like you know. We're gonna scam the uh the what you call it um uh scam the uh the what's a uh, Vegas thing um and I it's it it's, it's like oh it's cool it's edgy it's young and it was just bored me to tears the whole time but the reason I'm bringing so that's one reason I'm cursing it but they but the reason I'm actually cursing it like today it, is because although I haven't seen it in 15 years but I like it. Yeah. I think it I think it is definitely a movie that that we one would enjoy 15 more 15 years okay, ago. Okay, so if you don't hold up, I'll have to go watch it and let you know. But but here's the thing I wrote for this episode. Why I'm talking about this episode is because it is one of those movies that's based on a true story, but the true life people were all basically Asians, <laughs> and they made them white. <laughs> they made them all white wow. for the movie. And that's again one of the places where the colorblindness philosophy, taken sort of its to its extreme, doesn't really work because it's like you know it seems to always just benefits you know it's like oh it doesn't matter their race it's like well okay if it doesn't matter their race why can't it be their face yeah you know well, and so uh, that's a, that's a source of pain for a lot of you know uh, uh, ethnic minorities it's like oh yeah you talk about this colorblindness but it always seems to not it go into my favor. it seems to work only in one. One in one direction, yeah. So, so that's a bless. Uh, so, so cursing twenty one. Um, that movie. Uh, um, then I'm very cursed again. Is where I get risky here. Um, but is the the movie Dear White People? Oh, um, I haven't watched the TV show, so I'm not blessing or cursing that. But I watched the and that to me just you know again speaking kind of in these conversations, sort of as a white person, it's definitely a movie that made me want to be resistant to um racial conversations or, mm-hmm. or changing or growing in a racial way because i felt like it did feel like and it was kind of funny because of reading um uh dr yancey's book it, it helped me sort of create kind of have words to articulate it 
it did make me feel like, you know, if I didn't wholesale agree with everything they, they said, that I was a bad person that needed to be shoved to the side. And I think we're talking about telling stories that help us to build, bring a conversation forward. I think that this movie is kind of not, is, is not the example of the kind of stories that will actually be helpful for that. No. Um, now again, okay, if we have any fans of that uh, movie um, and want to explain to me why I'm wrong, I'm perfectly open uh, to changing my mind. As, as uh, Dr. Yancey said, I do not hold it. There are a few core movies that I keep cursing and I will not change my mind about like um, the Dead Poet Society, but for <laughs> but dear white people, I definitely I hold more loosely. Um, so anyway, but yeah, those are our blesses and curses. So uh, Nathan, if people enjoyed uh, this and enjoyed uh, talking to us and I uh, want to get to in touch with you and your work and also get in touch with us and uh, 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 yell at us uh, for our opinions or uh, engage with more of our thinkers, where can they go? They can go to theoverthinkersjournal.com where they can join our online private Facebook group called The Overthinkers. And if they want to get in touch with me, they can go to nathanclarkson.me or search my name Nathan Clarkson on any of the socials. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm also on any of the socials uh, as well. And also you can find me at josephholmstudios.com, my website. And also uh, all of my um, annoying and uh, righteous uh, opinions about uh, faith and film and culture at uh, religionunplugged.com as well. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Mm-hmm.